This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. She'll lift you up and empower you to help your child and your family thrive. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. Today we are going to talk about triggers, behavior triggers. What could be triggering your child's outburst, their over-emotional intensity, their meltdown, um, something that might feel like backtalk or disrespect? What is it Um, for our kids with ADHD and autism that is triggering this sort of behavior. And we're talking about triggers specifically because we know, um, as we've talked about in many other episodes, that um, behavior always has a reason. There's always something behind the behavior. It may look on the surface like disrespect, being rude, um, laziness, lack of motivation, but it is always something behind it. Always. There's always a why. And as we've learned from Ross Green, there Um, can't be any resolution to that behavior, any improvement without addressing the why. Um, He talks about in his book, Raising Human Beings, that behavior is only the symptom. It's only the symptom of the problem. It's like when you have the flu, the behavior is the fever. It's telling you that there's something wrong here, but it's not the thing that you need to focus on to remedy. It's only a symptom. And so in talking about triggers, we're talking about what is kind of the antecedent to these different behavior struggles that we see so often in our kids with ADHD and or autism. And it could be a myriad of things, folks. And I want you to know right from the beginning that this is in no way going to be an inclusive discussion of every possible trigger because that is just not possible for me um, to do in a short amount of time, much less probably hours and hours because every child is so different. But there are some real commonalities, some lagging skills developmentally in the majority of our kids that we can talk about and um, look for some resolutions with. So the first thing that always comes to mind for me is literal or concrete or black and white thinking. What is concrete thinking? That is when your child is a super literal individual. They think in black and white. There's no grays. There's no interpretation. They take everything at face value. An example that I have from my own parenting, my son was very little, probably seven or eight probably six or seven, actually. He was still very young. The diagnosis was um, 
pretty new if we even had it yet. And I got really frustrated one day out running errands. We were in and out of the car a lot. I'm sure he was enormously frustrated and just wanted to go home. Um, and just kept kind of needling me, begging for things, um, asking a ton of questions. It just became overwhelming. And I got so frustrated that under my breath, not directed at him at all, I said, you're going to be the death of me. And he heard me when I didn't think that he would. And he started to cry. And he cried for probably an hour or more that day and kept saying, I don't want to be the one to kill you, Mama. I don't want to kill you, Mama, because he is such a literal, concrete, black and white thinker that those words weren't interpreted. They weren't seen as, you know, a, a figure of speech, a common phrase that means something else. He took it very literally, and he thought that I meant that he was going to personally be the one to cause my death, which of course is not true and not at all what I meant. It was just an expression um, to try to sort of release some of that frustration. And obviously, I, it should have never happened um, in front of him. I should have never said it where there was any possibility that he could have heard it. But at that point, I really didn't understand that he was a concrete thinker. And I didn't realize what sort of ramifications and how big those ramifications could be. Um, and I was caught up in the moment. You know, we all get there at different points where we're just so frustrated and um Instead of being able to calm ourselves or just stay calm in the first place, we look for some sort of release of that frustration. And for me, it was making this snide, you know, f figure of speech and um, obviously regretting it. And so, you know, think about the times with your own child where you might have said something and they didn't really understand the meaning or they took it very literally when it wasn't meant to be taken literally. This is what I'm talking about when I say concrete or black and white thinking. And if you can imagine having a thought pattern that's that inflexible, that, that, that is that black and white, and kind of walking through the world and walking through your day, it would be very easy to misunderstand things. It would be very easy to take things personally. It would be very easy to get emotional. And when you can imagine that, then you have a little glimpse at what is going on with your child and how that sometimes sends them over the edge, how that sometimes causes them to um, be emotionally intense, to lash out, to have a complete outburst or meltdown. You know, just that little thing can be very disruptive for our kids because they are just not getting everything that we're saying in the way that we mean it. Or especially with peers, this was a huge problem for us in middle school with social interactions. There was no reading of intention or reading between the lines. And so, you know, he took a lot of things to heart as serious when they were really um, just teasing or they were, you know, some sort of colorful analogy that he didn't understand. So I want you to keep this 
particular trigger possibility in mind as you go through your days and weeks with your child and see if you can notice if they are a concrete or literal black and white thinker. See if you can find times where that might be the source of an issue. It can certainly be very pervasive in all aspects of life when you're that literal. And the second trigger that I want to talk about that really ties in with being so literal is only seeing one way for something to happen or for something to be. Um, For example, um, if you are building a Lego set and you don't want to follow the instructions or you put a piece on wrong or you're jumping ahead in the instructions or something like that, something that is out of the norm, your child may get upset about it. They may get disproportionately upset about it and get really, you know, worked up and out of sorts all because you're trying to do it differently and they only see it as being able to happen in one way. Everything else is crazy. Everything else is not accurate. It's a falsehood. They can only see one way. One issue where this really cropped up for us that I can think of to share with you is um, socially. When we had a friend over, he seemed to be very bossy. He seemed to really want to have control and power over the situation. Everything that they did, he needed to choose what they were going to do. They needed to do it a certain way, you know, and um, it caused a lot of problems. Of course, this caused a lot of problems socially. And what I realized was that if he was thinking about, oh, I have a friend coming over and I can't wait to play Mario Kart, say, with them. I can't wait to do this particular video game with my friend. And then the friend comes over and they don't want to play that game or they want to do something else first. But in your child's mind, the only thing that is in their mind, the only thing they can see is playing that particular video game. Of course, they're going to get upset when people suggest that they should do something different, right? Because they don't see anything different. I think this ties in a little bit with um, some awareness issues on the part of our kids and um, being able to really put themselves into someone else's shoes sometimes. Um, And that's not a lack of empathy. I want to be very clear about this. Not being able to see yourself in someone else's perspective is very different than not having any empathy for that person. You can feel for that person and what they're going through and their situation and their emotions, but still not have the skills to put yourself in that particular person's shoes, to be able to see their viewpoint and their perspective of what's happening. Those are two very different things. And our kids often are not able to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. They can't imagine that. And I think part of that is this kind of bubble of awareness that doesn't spread very far outside of their own mind and their own person. But it also can be this piece where they just don't see another way to do things. Um, How we handled that particular issue with that kind of um, 
rigidity and and thinking and and ideas was to create some social rules. So a rule in our house became, if you have a friend over, that friend gets to pick what you're going to do first. And often we would sit down with my son before someone was going to come over just for like two or three minutes and talk about all the different ideas of things that they might do together. And that then was helping him to broaden that thinking so that he already had in mind more than one possibility, right? And that really helped in those situations. But when your child gets really upset about the way something is going or something is being changed from what is normal to them, you need to consider that that is because they just don't have this breadth of thinking yet. And so they are very focused on one thing. They're not seeing the options. Another big behavior trigger, of course, is poor frustration tolerance. I see that in so many kids with ADHD and even the less obvious autism. You know, that frustration tolerance piece is difficult. We see our kids um, hitting a lot when they're younger and they don't really yet have the skills that you and I have to work through their frustration and they don't have the skills that their peers have to work through that frustration you know they're behind developmentally they're not at a place where that is intuitive for them and so we have to help with the skill we have to help with building frustration tolerance but also um, communicating your emotions and your feelings how to do that appropriately you know obviously hitting is not an appropriate way to show someone that you're frustrated with them or angry at them so we have to work with our kids on options what are the alternatives that are better choices because usually it's just instinct and I think as human beings we are kind of automatically wired to be very protective of ourselves to lash out when we feel like there might be danger and so you know that's where this kind of intuitive inclination without any other options in mind comes in that they are hitting or punching um, or maybe kicking or somehow sort of physically lashing out when someone um, makes them angry or frustrated. And of course, this can be turned around and you can certainly build frustration tolerance with your child. One thing that I um, recommend to a lot of my parent coaching clients is to start using a visual program for emotions, something like um, the Incredible Five Point Scale or the Zones of Regulation. These programs have visual drawings of a face of through different emotions. And so the first step to sort of building this place where you can start working on emotional regulation is to start with the emotional awareness and start with giving your child a language in which to communicate their feelings to you because they often are very delayed in that area of being able to both label their emotions but also to communicate them appropriately. So if you have this chart with these different emotions, these visuals, when your child has been angry or had an outburst, um, or even if you can notice when they're starting to get riled up, 
you can go to the chart and say, show me how you're feeling right now. And then talk about what that emotion is. Talk about how it's a healthy emotion. Like we just talked about in episode 50 with Maureen Healy, the emotionally healthy child. You know, all emotions are healthy. All emotions are good and appropriate. It's just how we communicate them and how we cope with them that sometimes is very unhealthy. And so in this situation for frustration tolerance, you're, you're asking your child to show you how they're feeling. You're talking about that feeling. You know, you're giving it a name. Um, you can say, you know, on a scale from one to five, where are you on that scale of angry? And if they say five, you say, oh boy, you know, we really need to work on that. That must feel really upsetting to be at a five in anger. Let's talk about what you can do when you're angry. What can you do? And this is something you'll work individually on with your child. You'll say, you know, what works for you that might help you calm down? Can you think of a time when you were upset and something or someone helped you to calm down? And what was it? What happened? What helped you? This could be a vast array of things. This could be sensory things like a weighted blanket or a cloud dough or, you know, um, a sensory bucket with salt or beans in it or rice. Um, this could be listening to music. It could be watching a particular video or um, show on TV. It could be, um, you know, a hug from someone. It could be being left alone to calm down. So many options and you just have to work with those different things, work through them and see what is working for your child and what is not and keep down that track until you have some really good tools and strategies to start to affect these different um, situations with emotions. And, and by doing that, you're teaching your child how to self-regulate. You're giving them a language for... Um, labeling their emotions. You are giving them that language to communicate them appropriately. You're giving them options to communicate them appropriately. You know, if your child is hitting their peers at school, you say, okay, what could you have done differently? Let them come up with options. But in that situation, it might be tell the teacher, walk away, um, you know, count to five, whatever works again for your child. And then you know, lastly, you're giving them tools and strategies to regulate because you are teaching and may, and building that self-awareness. And this can be so um, effective, kind of life-altering even, when your child starts to have the awareness and be able to regulate themselves sometimes. That's a lot of where I think our parent frustration comes in, is that our kids seem to go off the rails and they can't, you know, just calm themselves like, you know, other kids their age, their peers. And it's a very real um, frustration as parents, but it's one that we have to self-regulate on, right? It's one that we have to learn how to stay calm and cope with. So that poor frustration tolerance, as well as poor emotional Those can all be triggers to behavior blindness. 
This is when a person does not have a good sense of time. They don't have a sense of how much time is passing. They don't have a sense of how long five minutes is or 30 minutes is. Um, You'll often see it in kids who get upset because, um, you know, you say, in 30 minutes you can do that, whatever they'd asked for. And they go, Mom, that's forever. I can't wait that long, right? Because they don't have a sense of how long that particular time frame really is. And it's just something that's different about their brain. They don't have a good understanding of time. And one of the best things, the best tools that we can use for that is a time timer. And this is a, looks like a timer. It has a 60 minute face on it and it has a red disc that fills up to the amount of time you set it for. And then when you start it, that red disc disappears in the same um, time frame and the same pattern that the time actually disappears. It's really good to help kids to see time passing when they don't have a good sense of time. Um, I have also challenged my son on his time assumptions in the past. One example, um, his chore is to empty all of the dishes out of the dishwasher and put them away in the kitchen cabinets. It's a chore that he absolutely loathes, of course, because it's not fun. It's not interesting. Um, He has no use for it, right? And so we were going through these battles every single night about how long it was going to take, about how he'd have no time to do anything else. It was going to ruin his whole night, right? And so one night, after about 30 minutes of whining about it and fighting about it, I said, you know what? It it honestly only takes five minutes. I know you don't believe me, so we're going to time it. I'm going to set a stopwatch. And you're going to empty the dishwasher at the same speed and diligence that you usually do. And at the end of five minutes, I'll finish whatever's not done. And he finished in four minutes and 53 seconds. He had seven seconds to spare. And I swear his chin hit the floor. He was absolutely stunned that that task was only five minutes. To him, it felt like forever. And since then, we have had almost no battles uh, about emptying the dishwasher. And that's been a few years ago. Now he knows it's a quick thing. He must do it and he gets it done. And he knows it's not going to ruin his night. It's not going to take forever. And so, you know, any time that your child really has this um, very exaggerated view of time, that's a really good tool to use. Show them how much time it really is. Um, show them how much time they might have left. You know, after that, we had a discussion about the fact that he still had two and a half hours before it was bedtime and that he had lots of time to do lots of things that he wanted to do. Um, So that time blindness piece can really be, again, very pervasive. You'll see that issue in a lot of ways. Um, Kids at school, they might rush through their work because they're so afraid that they're going to run out of time. My son rushes through his work. He's always the first one done. He does not do a great job, of course. Um, 
but we speculate that it's because he thinks he's going to run out of time. Um, also, I think it's because he doesn't want to be doing it and he just wants to get it over with as quick as possible. But, you know, that time factor can play into situations like this. Um, you might also see it at homework time when your kids are saying, this is going to take forever, just like that empty in the dishwasher saga for us. Um, you know, it, it's really um, very, very overwhelming at times. And just remember, it's really overwhelming for your child, too. They're the ones struggling. In all of these instances, it's your child that's having a hard time. They're not giving you a hard time. When I first ran across that phrase, it was so life-changing to be able to remind myself in these moments, in these trying times, that my son is having a hard time. His intention is not to give me a hard time. He is not intending to cause me grief or problems or upset. That's a really valuable tool, you know, just this little phrase that's just a few words can make all the difference in your parenting and can make all the difference for your child. So I really want you to focus on that. Think about these different triggers. Try to go through the next couple of weeks identifying these different lagging skills or others in your child and then think about what can you do to help them with that trigger, that underlying behavior cause so that you can then start to improve behavior. I mean, that's what we want, right? We want to improve behavior. We want to improve home life for our kids with ADHD and autism. And we want to help them to grow up to be happy and successful adults. And this is how you do it, by understanding them, understanding how their brain works and working with them to resolve and work through and cope with whatever comes their way. You can get the show notes for this episode at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 051 for episode 51. And that's it for the show. I will see everyone next time. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. If you connected with this episode, please share it on social media. Be sure to visit parentingadhdandautism.com to join the conversation and take advantage of Penny's online courses and summits, retreats, parent coaching, and fantastic bonus content.